And boom, we're back for another episode of AlphaCast. I'm Mike Winner, and I'm here as always with my partner in crime, Dr. Bear Paul Lando, or actually partner in knowledge, wisdom, and illumination. We are in 2023, Bear. Can you believe it? 2023, pretty wild. Uh, it's uh, what our, we started this podcast Technically, a little bit, and I think 2018 took a year off, came back 2019. So we're we're entering our fourth year of doing AlphaCast. Pretty phenomenal. Incredible! I can't believe that. All I remember is I was in grade school watching The Jetsons, which was a new cartoon show at the time, and uh, you know it was supposedly set in the mythical era of 2000. And I remember with. Oh, we got a we got a frozen one. Did this happen on the Jetsons? I wonder if this is me or you. If everybody uh, was that me? I've uh, many years past fifty. Oh, hey, uh, there you froze there for uh, a little bit. If you want to kick back to in two thousand with the Jetsons, hopefully your internet doesn't do this too much today. Yeah, uh, am I back? Okay, it might happen periodically. In fact, I'm I'm pretty sure it will because I'm out in my lab and Mark Iver is remodeling my room, which we'll talk about why he's doing that. So I'm out here in the lab and I've got one modem that's kind of sketchy as far as the upload. So in 2000, watching the Jetsons, you know, me and my buddies in grade school, we just thought 2000, we'd be living in some futuristic utopia and also... Um, really consternating what it would be like at that point because we'd actually be in our 50s so uh here we are <laughs> although i'm much older than 50s and we're not too far off a lot of those things in jetson's world from printing food to uh flying cars it might be a bit of a pipe dream i know that was always a thing uh from like the back to future uh movie when he goes to the future and everyone's in flying cars and of course blade runner and all those movies uh, it, uh, was something that for me as a child, I always thought would be really cool to see. Uh, and then you really look at the reality of it and it's like, um, I don't know, man, <laughs> horse and buggy, uh, seems kind of, uh, alluring to me these days. Uh, and we'll be talking a bit about the, the times of the horse and buggy times with the red line elixir of life book, which we'll be discussing today, which takes place during the uh, 16th, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries uh, during that romantic time. Yep, absolutely. So uh, not only did I have to be out in my lab because my uh, regular war room is being remodeled. Uh, for a microscope lab, but uh, I wanted also to show everybody, give them a little tour of my uh, chemical lab here, because uh, I thought it was also appropriate since we're going to be talking a bit about alchemy and explaining what alchemy really means and what it doesn't mean. And uh, Mike, do you want to le uh, read the intro or is that not even necessary? Yeah, let's do just you and I. Uh, yeah, let's do the intro. And um and that will give our audience a little bit of context. Uh, 2022 was the year of the Great Awakening, as we stated uh, this time of the year last year when we opened up the year. And boy, that seems obviously very true. Uh, you know, not only do we have things like the Twitter files, whether you take that to heart to really be anything or not, 
um, in you know some of the awareness that came about with obviously uh, the Biden administration with the chief, uh, the sniffer in chief and the ridiculous that happened. Uh, the, the stuff that's, you know, come to light with that administration. Obviously, people uh, even in the normie world are waking up to uh, the died suddenly phenomenon. We just saw that Monday night football thing go down bear. I don't know if uh, you were watching that uh, or not. I don't care about the gladiator. Yeah, you know, I played football a long time. And then when I uh, quit football, I, I was in the fight game for a long time, you know, full contact fighting and everything in the martial arts world. And I never remember one time anybody having a heart attack during competition. Yeah, imagine that, right? Um, and back then, you guys were uh, probably drinking beers right after the game and um, eating pasta. And, you know, supposedly we are in this like technologically superior uh, professional athletic realm now, right? Where they have the most cutting edge uh, athletic sciences uh, of the day. And yet we've got uh, hundreds and hundreds of athletes around the world. Uh, passing out on the field with uh, different cardiac arrests and issues. So, hmm, doesn't take a genius to put one and one together there. Yeah, and my years in the business, uh, the medical business after sports was, um, you know, looking at people's blood <laughs> under microscopes and uh, seeing all the elements that were in the blood causing problems that were related to roll up your sleevers. Um, so, Mike, just a, a word of caution, which I know I don't need to tell you, but we're going to have to talk in extreme code because the last time you and I did an in-house here, I think you're aware they removed our uh, video from YouTube. And oh, did they? I, did the loose tube pull us? Yeah, I don't so, remember. So our last time, either a month or wherever it was, um, yeah, it got removed uh, for disinformation of the medical variety. So... Uh, we'll talk about roll up your sleevers and all sorts of things today, but go ahead, finish with your intro. Yeah. So that being said, 2022 was the year of the great awakening. The transparent machinations of the technocracy has laid the quote official narrative <clears throat> increasingly threadbare while many have opted out of the elitist ant farm. Excuse me. This new year will undoubtedly be one for the books but it will have nothing to do with the prevailing news cycles. A growing interest in the alchemical sciences is now revealing to many the very mechanisms of creation and with it the reins of self-determination. The classic novel, <clears throat> The Red Lion, The Elixir of Eternal Life, which was written by Maria Zepps during the Second World War and published in Budapest, chronicles a man's search for the elixir of life, the remarkable book revealed the broader alchemy of human existence, but was soon banned by the government there. Uh, the Red Lion is perhaps more relevant to present time than ever and will be the reference point for today's episode. Uh, far too long, the term alchemy has conjured imagery of superstitious wizardry, but the actual chicanery lies in the bastardization of science through linear chemistry. This in-house conversation today with us and our community is the perfect commencement for the life-changing events clearly on the near horizon. We look forward to this today as this is pr primarily the main foundation for AlphaCast, for Alpha Vedic. Why we started this chat to begin with was to bring the spiritual sciences to light, Dr. Bear. Absolutely. And you can tell I'm from a different era when I wrote that using words like chicanery. 
okay. So uh, here we are. I'd like We're to in- go more back go to ahead. that world, by the way. And, and uh, mm-hmm. I would like to see, hear more of that vocabulary being spoken out of the mouths of our youths. Well, I went through 12 years of parochial school and went to uh, high-level universities and things, and they actually had three R's and that kind of stuff. And I still have the scars on my knuckles from getting hit over and over by nuns, so I can prove it. Um, Yeah, it was a different time, and um, there still was a little bit of learning back then, even though we got our own brand of brainwashing, but not to the extreme of today. So, Michael, Happy New Year to you, my friend. And uh, I think no better way than to start with you and I here. We have a lot of great guests lined up in the months ahead, but uh, it's always good just to touch base. And uh, and I'd like to tell the Alpha Beta community a little bit about what we're up to here. And maybe we can start with, um, I've done a couple little broadcasts from this lab, but maybe we could give you a little more of a thorough look here. And since the theme of the day is alchemy, uh, you know, I'm in my alchemical lab, so let's take a look around. And for that guy that is going to be commenting that, hey, we're already 10 minutes, 15 minutes into this broadcast, and they still haven't talked about the red line. Well, keep your shirt on. We'll get there. And um, so here we go. So but, uh, behind me, I'll just move the camera around here, and we'll give you a 360, okay? So... Uh, Behind me there is a roto vape. It's a very large distiller that's on the motor and it works in a water bath so that when I'm distilling, I don't uh, burn any, uh, you know, delicate ingredients, don't raise temperatures, uh, you know, to that point um, and nothing gets scalded. And then if you look at the little blue gizmo there, that's one of a couple vacuums I have. So I hooked that up to a vacuum. And then uh, under a vacuum, I can uh, distill at even lower temperatures and protect what I'm making even more. Um, let's let's go around this side since here you'll lose me here in a second. Um, that there is a, a giant um, dehydrator, and we use that right now. I actually have some ashwagandha roots that we grew last season. And uh, lost you there for a second, kind of hard to hear, but that is our dehydrator and you have ashwagandha root in there we, that we grown. Yes, and uh, great dehydrator, works great. Um, there you can kind of see the entrance there. Let's go back around in my direction. Did you lose my voice again, Mike? Um, we can hear enough. And there's a great uh, poster of the Terrain film, which you were featured in, uh, thanks to Andrew Kaufman and Marcy Kravitz. Yeah, they did an amazing job with that. I was honored to be invited to be a participant. Now, here on the shelves, all of these jars, because we're just getting started now with uh, tincturing from stuff we grew last season. So all winter, we'll be filling up those bottles. Each one of those bottles will have different spagyric concentrates of different herbs, and then that'll allow me to use some you know, different means, including biogeometry and things in order to make customized formulas for people, you know, with diff- different combinations. And I think I just uh, set my leg on fire here with the heater. Uh, <laughs> oh, I did. Are you oh. trying to turn your leg to lead? <laughs> yeah, something like that. Okay, so uh, here is... Um, behind me, you know, I've got the vacuums. I got a nice lab sink there. 
more equipment over here that's uh you know alembics and things for different kind of distillations um another lab sink it's a it this uh, lab space turned out really nice i can do just about anything i want here um and i'm going to be getting some more equipment but i've got some pretty advanced stuff so i can pretty much do everything i need to do except calcination which is the last part of uh spagyricism you take the herbs that you have been um, putting through other procedures and then you recover the mineral salts from them. And uh, with that, what I'll be doing is using this uh, distiller behind me where I calcinate them in a furnace. I'm actually, as we speak, building an outside oven right now. So I take a crucible, put all the plant matter that's been through all the other processes, I heat it up into a gray ash, and then I do that uh, about a handful or more times until it turns pure white. And then with uh, distilled water, I mix it and I put it in the rotovate behind me, keep distilling it down and uh, eventually discard all the stuff except for just a little bit of liquid with the purified salts left behind and everything else gets tossed out. And then I uh, uh, concentrate that all the way down so there's no liquid and you'll see little crystals and everything. And those are the unique cell salts for each plant species or minerals, if that's what you're doing. And those have the exact mathematical formula that actually make the plant medicine work, uh, say ashwagandha versus jiaogulan or any other kind of herb. Uh, those are the, you know, you and I've talked about this, Michael, we have um, capacitors on the ground, which we consider these mineral elements, they receive the residence from the at upper atmosphere, uh, you know, it takes and stores the electrical charge, that's why they're important in our body, that's why they're important to have those in medicine. If you don't have those, you're really not getting that uh, complete resonance that a uh, plant species is able to deliver in a medicinal. So uh, I recover those. I put those in. We're also, uh, you know, doing a whole line of salves, as you know, medicinal salves that are also going to be spagyrically prepared. So this is where we'll be doing this all winter time, and uh, we'll probably have a cameo from the famous Mark Iver, who turned this uh, building into. It was going to be a teardown. I thought this was where our old solar system used to be before we upgraded. And there was a generator in there and everything. We completely gutted it, uh, you know, just uh, cleaned it up. And with repurposed material, you can see, um, you know, the, the ceiling and everything is uh, those are old fencing and everything that was laying around. Uh, the shelves over here, you know, everywhere are pieces of um, redwood that were uh, laying around in a field. Uh, we replaned everything, and so it turns out to be like a work of art, but at the same time, uh, what Mark is all about is teaching people how to repurpose rather than just going to Home Depot and get more brand new synthetic materials and then throw your old stuff into landfills. Uh, you know, we just canvas everywhere and get all this cool stuff, and, you know, your creations turn out so much more artistic and uh you know unique in that way so uh mark's a master at that i think he'll pop his head in here he's in uh, the house right now in my normal um podcast room and we're refabricating an entire wall that'll be a microscope uh lab setup because recently with all of 
the messaging I've been getting from people contacting me with issues relative to the roll up your sleevers, relative to uh, you know, the stuff that is being sprayed in the atmosphere relative to the Wi-Fi, you know, contamination and everything. Um, I really need to see, I want to help out some of these people. I don't want to go back into practice, but I am going into full-time research again. And so I will be using a select number of people to understand more what blood looks like these days and, you know, figure out what to do about it, how to clean it up as compared to when I was uh, last looking at blood regularly with patients, which is when you and I first met, uh, which was what, maybe early 2000s, right? Yeah. And then I just, uh, yeah, then I traded everything in for uh, a digging bar and a shovel. Well, I think this is extremely exciting. Um, I would be interested to uh, offer my pure blood my RH negative <laughs> uh, blood that you can uh, uh, play with. Um, I know you've been talking with the Biggleson brothers uh, plenty about this and and working with them on researching uh, this stuff. I uh, would be interested to see the play between the, the blood of an, uh, as you say, roll up your sleever as a, uh, as I like to say, a coronated one. Um, that uh, and relate that to Bluetooth signals. I know there's been a lot of talk about that with nanotechnology. Uh, relate that to different uh, sig- bringing different signaling into the room and under the microscope, seeing if that affects the blood in certain ways, um, whether that be artificial signaling or mental signaling, psychic signaling. I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of fun stuff that can be done looking at blood uh, from those who have unfortunately been coronated. Yeah, I'll also have a treatment table set up. So uh, when we have somebody's blood up on the screen, and I've mentioned this a few times in the past, then we'll do beneficial hands-on work on the person that we just removed the blood from. And then on the screen, watch the changes that happen in the blood, even though it's out of the body, but it's to prove that it's still resonating with that individual. And when we make real-time changes with the work we know how to do on that individual, you'll see the blood out of the body responding on the screen. So we'll make some videos about all that kind of thing too. It'll be a lot of fun. You know, one of the things I really wanted to refabricate my room for also is uh, in our new uh, website, soon to be launched, we promise. Um, We'll have a member section that's gonna have a lot of educational material and things only for members. And it'll have that kind of content as far as uh, things related to working in the lab, working in the soil, working on bodies. And uh, we really want to help people understand on this platform that it's all alchemy. It's all one single science that works on the same exact principles. And that's a segue right into the Red Lion. And uh, Mike, forgive me, but I read the Red Lion at least 30 years ago. <laughs> and it one of my favorite all time books. And I absolutely remember the gist of it, you can't forget it. Uh, on the other hand, you'll have to maybe fill in some more of the details. Uh, and here's, uh, here's the, the book right here, you probably have a copy as well. And I'm not even to try after all these years and reading this couple of times, I still can't pronounce this, the author's name. So I'll just call her Maria. And if you can pronounce the last name, I'll let you take a stab at it. I believe it's Zeps. Okay. Thank um, you. 
And yes, this book uh, you have recommended multiple times. I finally took you up on it, as many in our community did. And wow, my favorite book of 2022 by far. My favorite book I've read in a long time, to be honest. It really hit hard uh, on so many fronts. It felt like I was reading um, the pages of just pure gnosis. It's hard to believe that this was a fictional tale in many accounts. Seems like tied into a lot of historic characters, which we can get into. But the fact that Maria supposedly, I think this was maybe her first book or her first fictional tale. I know she's written a couple other things. Is It's breathtaking in terms of its style and scope. And uh, it's like uh, she was channeling this or something. It's just really quite phenomenal. Or she was given it uh, to her to write because it just seems like it's beyond something that a first-time author could put forth on paper. Yeah, and she's from the old school and obviously was very aware of every topic that she, you know, use, is, uses in her storyline in the book. And uh, that part of the world, you know, Budapest was very uh, rich tradition and a lot of those people never forgetting, you know, the fact that there are advanced masters running around and uh, that all. We have an internet freeze again. Hopefully this doesn't. Okay. Uh, we, we lost, we lost you right at masters understanding that masters were still prevalent. Yeah. So she was exposed to that rich tradition and she also, um, not only passed it together, but based her story on some real life experiences of things that I've read from other accounts that were not considered novels. Yeah. Yeah, it's quite apparent when reading this book that it just emits a gnosis right out of the gates that uh, really kind of hits you in your core, uh, in your heart, and you just know, wow, there's something special here that's being delivered through the uh, the fictional tales here. And like I said, a lot of historic figures in the book, uh, a lot of actually characters from the alchemical history, um, uh, from even the the protagonist plays at points in his different live streams. And I guess the the, the big takeaway out of the gates with this book is that really uh, is a, it has a lot to do with the science of reincarnation and the science really of spirit, of matter, of soul, uh, and how the um, karmic cause and effects that interplay between live streams uh, uh, affect or are used towards the growth of the soul, right? And how um, really the alchemical process is something that is much deeper than transmutation of base leads to metal, of course, to gold. It's about the transmutation of the spirit of the soul out of matter and into the higher realms. And uh, one thing that I really took to heart when reading this book is that you know what, we got a long path ahead of us in terms of our development. And the greatest adversary that we have is the fear of death. Uh, and that's where um, we start with uh, the character, uh, <clears throat> the protagonist. Uh, I believe the first uh, embodiment that starts is the Hans Bergner character, uh, who is the um, sort of the fallen one we find out later. Um, and this is in, I think, the 16th century it starts. And uh, he uh, is uh, one who comes right out of the gates looking for uh, the so-called elixir of life, right? The so philosopher's Mark, stone. 
Uh, um, Mike, Mark just uh, walked in. We want to give him a little shout out to the community. Hold that, hold that thought. That would be a perfect place to pick up. Uh, this is a famous Mark Iver who built this wonderful lab. And he's now doing his magic, building me a microscope research center in another building on the property. Mark, good to have you here, buddy. We couldn't do any of this without you. Nice to be back at the magical land. <laughs> All the alpha casters out there. And I'm here doing my Mark Guyvering on the Lando Land property. So good to see you, Mike. Hey, great to see you, Mark, and nice to see that shirt. You're wearing the Gasky Raft Race shirt. We, uh, It was awesome that you joined us this summer on the Raft Race, and that was a, a lot of fun. Mark got us right out of, off, uh, started out of the gates to take first place. He put a rope between his teeth, dove into the river, and swam us to the, our raft to the very front of the pack. It was quite impressive. Just like my Uncle Jack LaLanne. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, hey, it's good to see you, Mike, and all you uh, people out there, and um, see you on the next go-round. Mark, thank you. Thanks for the little Okay. Cameo. Take care. <laughs> thank you. Well, Mark Guyver is an embodiment of the alchemist spirit. Uh, he literally takes things that um, have been discarded and thought to be uh, of no value, and he transmutes them into beauty. Uh, and that really is something I think we can take to heart today, is that the alchemical mindset is not just one, which we will talk about the chemistry side of things, but it's not just uh, the, the blatant materialistic chemistry that people often, I think, relate it to. It has to do with, the, like I was alluding to, the spirit, the soul, uh, and the uh, ability for us to transmute our reality in the present every moment with and with every breath we take. Yeah. And what you um, speak on as far as in uh, reincarnation, it's the exact chemical etheric process that I do in the lab here. It's the same thing we do when we're doing our agriculture outside. It's the same exact way I work on bodies. And all it requires is that you have to understand the entire energy matter continuum. And it begins with the fields above us or that permeate through us. Uh, you know, there is no time and space in that realm, but they have the attributes that then are fed through the 12 constellations. And those constellations in an electrical system, we could think of them as induction systems. They take the energy, the electricity from conductance, they modulate it through induction and then uh, create uh, 12 different resonant fields that then go through us by way of our senses. And we have 12 senses, neurologically speaking, not just five. And our senses, are a direct connection with um, those constellations. They are literally an extension of the constellations. We're not talking about a connection. We're talking about a real connection uh, extension. So when those um, resonant fields are projected through our senses, uh, our senses are considered divine because they are, again, extensions from the cosmos or from the heavens. But then once they embody, then they become uh, what we would think of as dead, you know, not in the, in the traditional sense of death, but they become, uh, you know, heaven now creates a body and in alchemy, we have different 
uh, ways to describe this. Uh, but then at the same time, there's another element that is born from the earth, which is our blood, which begins dead, but then it's animated. Uh, and when we say dead, that doesn't mean that, uh, you know, it doesn't have certain functions that you can verify, but it is not uh, a direct continuity with the heavens, which of course is projecting all of true life in the first place. So now the uh, you have this polar opposite happening with the extension from heaven coming down and taking on uh, you know the body attributes, and then the blood coming from the opposite direction, but then being animated and becoming the, the uh, divine, even though it started in the opposite direction of the senses. So forevermore, if you understand how those two forces play into our biology and how those resonant forces come through the etheric network, what used to be very uh, important as far as an understanding in real complete science, the ethers then step down through uh, you know, successive mechanisms in order to create the precipitation of what we call matter. And of course, the whole reincarnation cycle is about us coming to a point of awareness to realize that we are now you know, acknowledging the reverse cycle where we become completely aware and conscious on this plane. And then our bodies do not have to go through the same deterioration, uh, deterioration aging and also reincarnation cycles forever. So you are talking about uh, all that as far as the uh, red line. So pick up where you left off. Well, there's so much to pick up from there. So one note on the blood then, because of course, um, blood factors in this book in multiple places. I know in one of his live streams, he's working a lot with the blood. And I think that has to do with the homunculus, which we'll talk about a bit, which is a fascinating uh, part of the book with the homunculus. Um, but really uh, trippy, right? Yeah. But obviously, and I think John D, you know, the famous alchemist during Elizabethan time, he talked about homunculus and it's, there's a lot of uh, actual uh, information from the alchemical texts about this entity, uh, which I believe is uh, rearing its ugly head again right now, of course. Uh, we probably have a homunculus uh, that is uh, directly related to the last probably, uh, I don't know, 10 presidents in the United States. Um, but but um, that being said, the blood uh, sort of is the duality then versus the the sort of the light. So the light of the heavens uh, is sort of the the principle of the uh, divine. Um, probably, uh, I know they talk about the principle. Uh, what do they call it? Um, in terms of the 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 life's blood of the, uh, it'll come to me in a second in this book. Um, but uh, you have the blood, which is the sort of as you were saying, the core matter, which is the the sort of uh, the density, and then you have the light. And that sort of is the duality that we um, not are imprisoned in, but that we get to experience. I think there is a we've had talks about this in recent AlphaCast, this notion that we're imprisoned in it. But actually, the takeaway from a book like The Red Lion is that this isn't an imprisonment at all. This is we can imprison ourselves through the lack of knowledge, but this is actually uh, in its core uh, the initiation into the greater understanding of individuals that us as an individualized god 
And the, um, the interplay between the blood and the neurology, you could think of it as a toroidal field where you have compression that goes through the ethers, compresses data into matter. And this is wonderful now because we have people like Walter Russell who described the alchemical principles in electrical Western terms. And it's really handy because it uh, makes it amenable to application in all sorts of ways rather than trying to use archaic language from different eras. But if you appreciate that the blood is uh, that compressed precipitation of data, but then it requires a moment to moment uh, animation from the heavens by way of the neurology. And when you have that equal simultaneous exchange, then you have eternal life. But of course, if we don't know how to position ourselves as the intermediary between those two polarities, then we usually succumb to, uh, you know, what's just happening through the compression cycle, which gives us all of our issues in our bodies, in our society and so forth. So, um, you know, there's a lot of physics involved. There's a lot of alchemy. And, uh, you know, that's what we're here to learn through our experience is that we can actually um, manage that compression radiation cycle uh, to our advantage, not only so that we can get off the wheel ourselves, but also so we can create heaven on earth, which was the whole reason for this realm in the first place. Uh, I don't believe, and I think a lot of people that know more than I do, uh, I'll say the same thing. This was not intended to be the school of hard knocks. We made it that way. Yeah, and uh, this is a discussed later on uh, story uh, in when he's more of an initiated into the Brotherhood live stream where his father tells him the, the story of the fall. And it's the story of, um, oh gosh, uh, there's so many names in this book, Belshelti Dinar, uh, and how Belshelti Dinar and that story of facing the, her own sort of uh, evil that she created, the Leviathan, uh, in her own um, sort of demonic desire for materialism. And then she uh, casts that out and becomes uh, all-knowing in her own universe and then becomes lonely, and so then must individuate within herself aspects of her consciousness. And so this is kind of the uh, origin story of us uh, from the fall to what we are going through now as an individualization of the duality uh, and how we have a beautiful role to play. We all, each one of us, are have a role to play towards the sort of um, uh, great unfoldment of the divine. So it's I mean, there's so much in this book that so, uh, is laid out. It's so, Mike. It's, um, could you get into the story a little bit as far as how we uh, the apprentice gets into his pickle in the first place, <laughs> and uh, you, you, the apprentice uh, to the uh, alchemist and the alchemist, yes. of course, the whole time knew exactly what the apprentice was intending, and so yeah, maybe just start us off with that because it's a fun part of the story. Yes, definitely. So it, the the this book starts out with uh, this kid uh, Hans Bergner, who is a literally a burger. He's a lower middle class 
peasant who is born into a family where his uh his father died he sees his father die his father was kind of a a lowly character whose mom who's dominant was a dominant force in their life and his mom really never loved him she was sort of a very um selfish person who was just looking for uh the sort of um materialistic um uh uh you know say to satiate her her lust and for her life uh is which was all materialistic so he this child ends up having an uncle who's sort of a, a traveling rogue of a mystic sort of alchemist who teaches him about um flamel who is a uh sort of a historic character who is very infamous in terms of bringing alchemy to europe and um, long story short, uh, the character of Hans Bergner becomes obsessed with the elixir of life, and he is in complete fear of death. And so he runs across a another alchemist in, in an inn he's working at who he believes it has the true elixir of life or the philosopher's stone. He becomes the... Um, this, uh, this philosopher brings him in, this alchemist brings him in, and so he becomes the apprentice who then just like literally out of like a star Wars movie or something crushes his own, um, the, he ends up killing, uh, the master to get the elixir of life and then ends up drinking the elixir of life, which then spirals him into this, this journey of the book where he must live multiple lives where he can now remember because he took the elixir of life without actually doing the work without actually going through the alchemical cleansing, the process of purification. He basically is representation of the fall of man. He tried to hack reality and, and scam it by stealing and thieving. And so by doing that, he is then um, basically ushered into this sort of karmic debt where he must now have these demonic astral forces around him that are torturing his soul. And he now cannot commit suicide. He cannot leave the space of life. He must be murdered to leave. Um, but that being said, he now realizes that it wasn't him cheating death. It was him cheating his own. Uh, it was like he's kind of damning himself in this way. And this leads on to now reincarnation over the next few life streams of him growing to understand really what the elixir life is all about. So he is now a tortured soul from drinking it after killing what we find out was Flamel. It was a reincarnation of Flamel. And um, he now must, he now uh, is kind of tortured because he can remember his, he is not, um, he doesn't drink from the, the drink of forgetfulness. So when he reincarnates in his next life, he completely remembers his sin uh, of kill of murder and now must uh, sort of live with that guilt <clears throat> and that and the hellish demonic astral forces that torture him every day. It's <laughs> really quite phenomenal. And, and here's just another element to that. Um, our creative powers are unimaginable to most people. And in my medical work, you know, I did very grounded medical work, uh, you know, with technologies and had a real medical training. However, we had to go into other areas when people came in, you know, with serious issues. And a lot of those were on that so-called subtle body level. And very often to deal with what we called um, entities. Now, in the field of osteopathic medicine, we call them energetic cysts and actually had ways to use the hands-on techniques with the cerebral spinal fluid in order to dissipate these energy accumulations. 
And also these energy accumulations could get very large and actually start kind of following up the machinery. So what we don't appreciate is just to say we have an obsessive thought about something. It can be um, you know, something where you really have an issue with somebody and want to get back or, or lust or, you know, any of the, the lower emotions. And if you're fixated. Got a pause here. Okay. Where'd you we lose? We lost that? you at fixated. You're fixated. Okay. So when you become fixated on the, on, um, you know, on these emotions, then it actually creates form. Now the form is on the subtle body level, but it's very much there. And we had ways to verify this and actually to dissipate these energies that after a while, when they get strong enough, actually start affecting physiology. And we're often, you know, the root of a lot of people's physical illness. So with um, going back to the book, uh, uh, Berger, what happened to him is he, um, like the rest of us has all these fixations on lower emotions and things, but now he has uh, complete transparency where he is seeing his entourage all the time. Uh, I myself am very happy. I can't see my entire entourage. And when you understand that you're actually creating these little creatures on the etheric level that then become parasitic and then start, you know, taking your energy, which is exactly what they do. As long as you have that fixation, um, you know, they, they, you can actually see these forms and that's what he was uh, able to do. And of course, uh, a lot of people with different belief systems would call them demons and all sorts of uh, that um, are actually a product of their own imaginings and fixations. So uh, yeah, this poor guy had to uh, live with full acknowledgement of these guys and, and began to appreciate over lifetimes that his body was actually a wonderful buffer to a lot of these uh, energies, even though the body fails itself, you know, until you're, you know, as long as you're on the wheel, but at the same time, uh, you know, it really, um, you know, mitigates the kind of energetics that we create ourselves. And uh, so from there, uh, this is what this guy was dealing with until there were no more. The good thing is we live at a time now where we're starting to understand these principles, where we can work with them and verify them in different ways as we do. And it makes you less inclined to be fixated on another individual, uh, you know, what the pretender in the White House is up to or anything outside of, you know, your real self, because the only thing we can change is our own universe. Yeah, really what the reincarnated um, uh, sort of stories that we find with this book is that <clears throat> the path towards self-mastery, right? And really the understanding that our thoughts matter. Every single thought that we generate manifests into uh, the, it's the causation, right? Principle of the hermetic truths. Of, so the mental plane is where he finally must master in order to um, uh, ascend. Uh, we t There's a lot of threes in this book, uh, Bear, a lot of uh, the Trinity being represented in the three life planes, the three key, the three hermetic keys they mention. I wrote down a bunch of threes, the three bodies, um, the three planes, 
Could you speak to a little bit about that? Um, they mentioned the three keys of Hermes, um, and I know that is what he is going through the process of when we um, come to the St. Germain uh, live stream, which for me is a highlight in this book, of course, uh, and I believe St. Germain is uh, very much um, represented in a very truthful way here in this book, and I can't wait to talk a bit about St. Germain because I know you have a lot of background understanding about that character but these three sciences, the three bodies, the three planes, can you speak to a little bit to that sort of triune uh, reality? Sure. So it starts with the seven rays. And I know there's a lot of folks right now are saying, oh, he's into that United Nations seven ray stuff. But uh, <laughs> you have to understand this is just the science end of it and not, you know, what other new agers have made out of it. So you have the seven rays and three of those seven rays um, are considered the Godhead. You know, it's the original electrical vectors um, with the, you know, that creates, uh, you know, the polarization that then manifests uh, and picks up other attributes when it expands into seven. You know, in the Bible, they talk about the, the, the seven thrones and all that sort of thing. But then that is filtered through the constellations. But then when we get to the ethers, uh, that's where the threes come in that are the manifestation of those three uh, basic attributes from the seven rays. And, you know, one's called active intelligence. The other one is love, wisdom, and Godhead itself is the will force. Now, those three attributes are embodied in our own biology and throughout all of nature. So when those uh, constellations resonate down through the ethers, then they pick up these other qualities that we call um, um, light, heat, uh, you know, the different wet, dry, you know, all the all the different kind of qualities. And then those combine, which is a good discussion in and of itself, in a way to create what we consider the elements, the four elements, you know, which would be fire, air, water, and earth. Now, those elements combine, uh, according to alchemical science, in different ways to create the three attributes. And we've actually gone through this a little bit in past episodes. And I know, I think we did it in Anarchapoco too. Um, but anyway, that uh, creates what in alchemical terms we call uh, mercury, which is the prana, you know, the spirit that moves through all things. Uh, this again is a combination of the four elements, the volatile and the fixed elements combined in different ways to create the three. And uh, uh, then you have the sulfur, which is the individualized soul, which is, uh, you know, what is we are playing with here. You know, we are in a journey of the soul. And then the body or the salt in alchemical language is, uh, you know, the actual precipitation of matter. But of course, the energy isn't in the matter. Uh, it's, you know, with the soul, which is the induction system or the qualification that, uh, you know, manages the the spirit that is given to us by the Mercury, by the Godhead. And uh, people like Tesla, people like Gurdjieff, who brought this back from the Sufi traditions, uh, you know, with the Enneagram and so forth, they talked about this in terms of the three times three, the mathematics, the resonance of three, vortex mathematics. These are all valuable things that I um, jumped into a long time ago because it was very pertinent things I actually had to do, you know, uh, medicine has become, uh, probably agriculture for that matter too, has become more of an academic science, 
rather than a trade. And to be an alchemist, it's really a trade. You have to understand the electrical systems, the plumbing, the structural, uh, again, three components of the human body, which gets into the treatment phase that I used to go into with people using neurology to be able to sequence out treatment in order to create the resets to help people regain their health. But when you understand the mathematics as Tesla did, as Walter Russell does, then you realize that resonance of the three is what is actually precipitating down to the capacitors in the ground, you know, that makes agriculture work that, you know, uh, we take into our bloodstream, that same resonance. And then that creates our bodies and our bodies going back to our early explanation, uh, explanation of the neurology in the blood. Well, the neurology is like the salt. That's like the body. And this gets a little uh, confusing when you start mixing these terms sometimes. But uh, if you look at the human body where the neurology first comes in and the head, it's very solid. The head, you have uh, structures that are kind of less movable, less mobile, and it's more the embodiment of just hard precipitation. Then when you have the metabolism, which is represented by the blood, that's the second part of the triune. And also, uh, also the the two polarities. But now the will force. If you go back to the, you know, the three main attributes of the seven rays, that's the Godhead with the original idea that then precipitates the whole thing in the first place. Now that is represented by the more mobile parts of our body. That's the mercury in alchemy, alchemical terms. Now, the extremities, of course, allow us to be mobile on the physical plane. It also, we consider that more a representation of mercury. And then that movement, our ability to move is also the manifestation of our individualization and our will force in a physical form. So you have those three things. And as we are able to animate our spacesuit through the time-space continuum, uh, again, we are now uh, exercising our privilege and our responsibility of having an individualized sense of will to do what we wish in our own creation and have our experiences and uh, learn from our experiences. Did that get enough into the threes there? We could keep going because it's it's all three, 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 three. And I could explain how that uh, works in agricultural terms and and everything else. That's why, you know, we have to understand alchemy is the only one true science. And when it was created uh, or morphed into a linear chemistry, that, of course, was the per first part of the seduction into the materialistic realm where we get caught in the so-called eighth sphere because we think we're these little stick figures with nothing to say about things. Yeah, yeah, no, that was phenomenal. And I just, you know, I recommended this book a few times too. My other favorite book of 2022 was Thinking and Destiny. I know you have the book. It's a quite a uh, a large uh, reading, um, but they talk about the triune self as the core trinity of the knower, thinker, and doer, which can be related directly to the sulfur, mercury, and salt. It's all works together. I love how all these different uh, traditions kind of come to this core principle um, of which really comes from the Hermetic tradition uh, and uh, Hermes who is discussed here, Hermes Trimistagistus, uh, who I believe personally uh, is the same person as St. Germain. 
And in this book in St. Germain, he talks about how um, he, I forgot who asked him where you come from. And he says, I, I've always been here essentially since the very beginning. Uh, and um, yes, it's just so fascinating. Uh, there's so many things in this book about uh, the, I mean, what you're talking about, Bear. Uh, there's a character, Dr. Pollock, who uh, is a phenomenal character because he kind of bridges the uh, arcane and the modern sciences. And he talks about the problems with chemistry and how, because this is in, uh, I believe, in the 18th, late 18th century where chemistry is really starting to explode onto the forefront. And he talks about how the youth are now being so influenced by it and how really the problem is, is that it's just a science of effects where alchemy is the science of causation. And we're seeing that now, right, as we're mired in the scientism of effects and everything like the virus stuff and which is just looking at effects and um, the whole nature of like the sort of shape of the realm that people get mired in is just looking at the effects and really what the beautiful thing about the science of alchemy is it's it's understanding the causation principle. Yeah. And alchemy is also uh, appreciating that transmutation is the only constant thing um, in all of creation and alchemy understanding transmutation, which is one thing changing into another thing, seeing that same pattern happen on every level of life and nature, and then being able to duplicate nature's processes and to achieve that transmutation yourself. So in an alchemical lab, of course, a true uh, alchemist would say, okay, it's great if you know how to do some of the things I described as far as recovering salts. And, but those are just mechanical things. Until you do the work, and understand that the work is mimicking these processes and it's the exact thing that your soul is going through through the you know the there's three parts of alchemy there's the separation where you take the three parts separate so that you can purify them and then a coabation which is putting them all back together and into an elevated purified uh, form so when you understand these principles, say in a lab, or even if you're out just working in a garden, now you can actively appreciate, mimic those principles. And when you have that level of awareness, now you are resonating with whatever medicine you're making, with whatever you're planting on the farm. And then that residence accelerates your own process. And it's not just about mechanically going through and tincturing herbs or, or any of that such thing. It's about doing the work. And of course, in alchemy, it's called the great work. So transmutation, we have to understand. And uh, Walter Russell did a, an amazing job with this, showed us that even the elements on the periodic table are not fixed. So linear chemistry brought us into this belief system that there are certain things that are fixed, but nothing is ever fixed. If you're looking at a carbon element, all you're doing is appreciating that state of being. It's a state of resonance, but that state is going to change into the next little note on the octave, and it's going to jump octaves and so forth, as Walter really shows well in his books. So 
if you understand that now, you can understand more. Let's take this just came to, to mind. So let's go here. We'll trigger some people here. <laughs> um, we talked about diet, uh, you know, veganism versus carnivore, you know, practices. And, uh, you know, a lot of people resonated with it. A lot of people got triggered. I got some personal emails about it. Um, I really don't, I'm, I don't have a dog in that fight. I just do what I do and because I like doing it and I don't care what other people do. All I want to understand is the science behind things. So let's say that you are a vegan, uh, a healthy vegan. Not all vegans are healthy because they don't really know how to derive proper nutrition from those food sources. So let's just say you're somebody who knows what you're doing and you have pure plant matter, which is more carbon-based kind of elements. So when you excrete, you should have very low nitrogen you know, in your excretions and, and high carbon. Well, that isn't the case. What happens is if you have low amounts of carbon matter from plant matter, then you start excreting more nitrogen. And there's been a lot of experiments to validate this. Um, <clears throat> those uh, higher nitrogen excretions, even though you aren't bringing in a lot of flesh and animal products into your diet, what it's showing is that the body transmutes that in your own body to make the nitrogen it needs. Okay. Now, conversely, if you need more of that, you know, carbon-based matter and less of the nitrogenous uh, protein, then, <clears throat> then what's going to happen is say you're just on a pure carnivore diet. Well, you're going to be excreting more of those elements that you'd expect from a plant eater than from a carnivore because it's taking all that high nitrogen matter and converting it into the other stuff that your body needs. Uh, another example. So the point is, is if you are aware of these principles, then you're less hung up or emotionally triggered by diet because you realize the real point of the discussion is that we are a transmutational factory, you know, our own bodies, our own consciousness. And when you understand these things, now you are not beholden to things external to yourself, especially diet, because we are not what we eat. That is false from the get-go. Um, you can create whatever your body needs. And of course, the cleaner that you run, then, you know, then you have less of a ceiling on consciousness, which becomes even better at transmutation because you're not impeding what it would normally do. So um, what the name of the game here, of course, is losing all attachments, including the food. And that doesn't mean that we have to eat in any particular way or not eat at all, but it just shows you what our potential is. And maybe we should start taking uh, advantage of that rather than staying in the realm of superstition that if we eat something, it's going to do this to us and, and so forth. You know, there's an old uh, a book uh, a long time ago. It's called Seth Speaks. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I, we mentioned this before, I know, a long time ago. And uh, the individual asked this Seth, who was, uh, you know, supposedly a, a realm behind the veil, or a master behind the veils. He just said, well, what does this particular food do to you when you eat it? And Seth's response was, it'll do whatever you think it's going to do. 
So I'd like to put all of these dichotomies aside, and especially when we uh, argue these different sides at the expense of understanding how things at work that are going to hold us uh, back when we think that we are beholden or a victim of anything external to us. The other thing, you know, if you go to Ayurvedic cultures, they put salt on everything. Uh, they'll, you know, have lemonade, they'll salt it, everything's salt. And people that are from a different culture, they say, oh, that's because it's tropical here. And you're using the salt uh, in order to, you know, maintain fluid retention. But that's not uh, the effect at all. It's about thermal protection. And potassium is the thing that regulates temperature in our body so that we can stay nice and cool and comfortable in a tropical environment. And it's good for our metabolism if we don't heat up. So when you take salt into your body, and again, more experimentation has borne this out, then that sodium that we would expect to see excreted in the bodily fluids is actually potassium predominantly instead. What the body is doing is transmuting sodium to potassium so that then the potassium regulates uh, you know, the thermal properties of our body in ancient Ayurvedic, which is one of the smartest systems on the planet still is, um, they understood these principles, they understood transmutation. So transmutation is where it's at. And when I treat a body medically, then I have to understand how the three um, principles, you know, the mercury, the salt, and uh, the, the um, soul, the sulfur work together. And what part of the body, you know, whether it's structural, biochemical, or, uh, or subtle body, electromagnetic, we call it, uh, how those things work together. And then with real-time resets, you can get things in sync so that then those three attributes can work as a unit. And when you look at a person that maybe has a particular growth in one part of the body or some other malady somewhere, if you have eyes to see, you can see which of those three attributes are out of sync. And it'll tell you exactly, you know, where you have to start investigating and really, um, you know, uh, focus your assessment and treatment on. So, uh, sorry, that got a little wow. lengthy there, but. No, that was amazing. The three key hermetic keys. It's uh, you've really <clears throat> crystallized that for me. And uh, yeah, Mark mentioning, oh, does this mean I, if you think that eating extra cheese pizza and Ben and Jerry's pints every day, I'll look like a Greek God, I will. And, you know, we hear that a lot, uh, especially when bringing up Germanic new medicine and these other ideas of how our thoughts create our body and, and our will. Uh, is principle. And obviously, if you are eating junk food, then internally, you are denying this truth to yourself. And that's really the Hans Bergner character, once again, is that thinking that um, uh, you can deny the truth to yourself in search of what your ego wants. And of course, that doesn't work that way. I, one of the principal ideas and concepts of this book is that there are universal principles of truth that all must succumb to or must agree to we are we cannot escape it and no matter what the black magicians try to do uh, uh like the giuseppe francesco uh, uh bori character who is a real person in history a true alchemist in this book he incarnates as him and that is of course with the famous homunculus uh and the homunculus does everything in its power to um sort of cheat these universal truths 
uh, and is trying to create this principal materia, uh, and it keeps failing and failing and failing. And then later on, when um, our protagonist incarnates as um, in inside the Rosicrucian family, um, and what is his name there? Cornelius, as Cornelius, um, he says in his daily sort of searches in nature, he goes out in nature and plays and, and, and experiments and just observes really nature. He says, just by observing nature with one minute, I realized the power of transmutation within uh, a simple, uh, you know, ant or uh, an anthill or in just any sort of natural embodiment versus what the homunculus was trying to do. The homunculus, even with all the supposed power that he has, um, is pathetic and pitiful compared to a simple raindrop. And I think that is some serious gnosis there in the book. Absolutely. And, you know, for the folks that say, well, can I just eat anything? Well, kind of, sort of, but you want to make sure it's derived from the natural order so that it has the resonance that the transmutational processes can work with. So if you're eating, you know, if you're on a 100% Skittle diet or something, <laughs> there, there's no mana, there's no resonance that, the, you know, those processes can can operate with. So uh, you know, I love pizza myself. I make my own out of some sprouted flour and, uh, you know, sprouted spelt and, you know, raw dairy products and, and all good stuff, you know? So yeah, you can enjoy your eating, but you want to eat real food. And that's the one thing uh, I got hit up with most in my practice days. Well, doc, what do I eat? Now I had ways to dial people in through um, metabolic typing, you know, to see if there are fast oxidizers, slow oxidizers, see if their sympathetic parasympathetic system was, you know, predominant and everything. And then we can give them little hints. Uh, I just look at their body structure, starting with their hands and be able to see what kind of glandular predisposition they are from, uh, birth also use the doshas of Ayurvedic. So all those uh, things really help you dial in as far as what kind of fuel might work a little bit better in a particular body versus the other. But other than that, I just tell people just eat food. You know, just, yeah, er, Erfo, yeah. as uh, our buddy Troy Casey says, Erfo, eat real food only. <laughs> it's not no. that complicated. No. Um, speaking of transmutation, though, and someone earlier asked us what would our what is like our fundamental product line or product in uh, with Alpha Vedic, and I will say I think a great example of uh, transmutation and alchemy and what we offer is the Ormus. Uh, related to like our zero point line, right? Our, our full spectrum zero point liquids uh, really embody uh, the transmutation principle. Yeah, I, I put a little, um, you know, verbiage about uh, alchemical perspective on some of our product pages, because that's really where it's coming from. Just trying to think of a good example. Um, okay, so in our uh, Lumen line, for instance, uh, we have a number of products. One of them are three calcium products. I rarely even talk about them because it gets way much into the weeds for the average consumer because it requires a little bit of um, experimentation with yourself. But here's what the deal is. Um, they're calcium. And people say, oh, uh, calcium, because you know, you're giving a supplement to us. It's going to make our bones strong. Well, no, not at all. Uh, calcium is actually used in those products in order to drive the electricity in a particular direction. That's why I have 
three different formulas in the calcium line. And what, what do we call the lumen calcium, I guess? So there's one, two, and three. And so the calcium is actually used to transmute the electrical vectors in the body in one direction or just stay neutral. Now, I am concerned about people getting calcium that is used for many beneficial or necessary you know, bodily processes. But the way I get the calcium is I put in naturally occurring silica and it's from horsetail. It's a pure botanical whole food horsetail concentrate. Now the silica, if you go back to the transmutation processes, just like we're talking about in Ayurvedic, how they know how to have salt to create more potassium internally in their own body. Well, the silica, which is uh, one of the important cell salts as well, in the body, it's transmuted to calcium, but not just to cal like calcium that we get in our foodstuffs, but calcium that can actually be used directly by all those tissues and blood elements that need that calcium to function. So when I'm making formulas, those are the processes that I'm thinking of, even if it's in a powdered nutritional supplement, I'm doing things in ways so that the body can have what it's need, what it needs in order to um, satisfy the intention I have in the product in the first place, as far as what I want it to do, but understanding it from a process of what the body is going to do with it, rather than just think if I give somebody calcium, it's going to build strong bones and tissues and help with uh, polarization of muscles and things like that. No, it's uh, much more involved with that. And that's why the nutritional industry is a little bit behind the scenes and uh, nutraceuticals, all those sorts of things would really benefit if the folks would start understanding the body's transmutational abilities and complex things in, in that way. And then of course, when we get into our spagyricism and everything, we take that another you know whole bunch of notches in, in the same direction. Uh, all of our products have elements in there. That's why certain things are formulated with other things. Yeah, and I'm excited to get more into the spagyrics this year, which will be offered to our members uh, in the co-op. And I know we've been talking about it forever, but Bear finally has his lab. Thanks to actually a GoFundMe that we did a couple years back too. So thanks to everybody who contributed to the GoFundMe because that is directly contributing to the research and uh, new alchemical developments here on the farm. Uh, back to the book, Bear, there's just so much in this book. It's really for those, us. I guess we should have said spoiler alert too, uh, for those who haven't read it, hopefully not giving away too much. It's such a rich book that... I really, whatever we talk about today will not take away from the experience at all. There's just so much in it. I mean, there's so many characters in it. Marie Antoinette, uh, of course, we mentioned St. Germain. Um, who else? Casanova is in it as a fantastic character. And one of the one of the sort of um, storylines through it is the reincarnation of these different characters that um, sort of come in and out of the main protagonist's live streams as well. So he actually gets to see other characters and other people reincarnated in their path forward. And I think an important thing to understand here is why we all, while we are all an individuation and we're all on our own individual journeys, really this is extremely under, important to understand that we all affect each other. The cause and effect we yes we have free will to us an extent however 
also we we are at the sort of um peril if you will of our brothers and sisters in their own process of growth and they can affect us right as what happened with hans smashing the head of uh his um mentor flamel and of course the way the book ends spoiler alert he the same thing comes full circle as he gets his head smashed <laughs> by what ends up being sort of his uh hans uh bergner and the main principle in alchemy is that there can only be one so as we've all individualized uh not only at the soul level but then had all these you know hundreds and even perhaps thousands of reincarnations at the level of the soul we're all from the same source there is only one and the light show that um walter russell describes through his understanding of electrophysics is what gives the appearance of many forms when in fact uh now we can get into a lot of the the simulation people that we've had on our show in the past that say this is a simulation uh it is and everybody has their own version of what the simulation is about but bottom line there's only one thing and that's the first thing you understand in the science of alchemy yeah, that's beautiful. And I think people get triggered by the simulation because they automatically go towards this sort of materialistic scientism based concept of a um, AI generated controlled robotic simulation. I personally, in, in coming from the hermetic tradition, uh, which I believe is the core principle, you know, principle philosophy that um, all religions come from that all um, sort of, you know, the Platonic thought, the Pythagoreans, the um, all the great traditions come out of. Um, the idea is that this is a grand divine simulation of uh, that we all have a role to play. Yes, the world is a stage. However, I think we often get caught up in the cynicism that then there's no point in it, which is not true at all. We all have a divine role to play as actors on the stage. And I can't think of a better personage, a better person, um, a character in a book that explains this than Saint Germain, who um, is playing out that role for eons and uh, really embodies the divine in a way that um, is really, you know, is amazing in this book. Yeah. And, you know, everybody is going to eventually play a role similar to what saint germain has done in this world uh we are all you know powerful spiritual beings in training and we are all ready creating even within this realm our own world uh one of the things i have mentioned before is that whenever i had a patient the first thing i would do is sit them down and have them look at their blood and in a single drop, you would have all these myriads of life forms. And what I tried to impress is that these life forms that you're looking at are the people of your world. You are the God of that world. And I could demonstrate in ways, as we were already talking about, how when they do certain things, or if I did something, you know, with their body, you would see those uh, creatures react. They are every wish and command. Every time we have a thought, 
So again, we are the God of their universe. Now, there are some that would suggest that just as we are on a expansion of consciousness or what you could think of in linear terms as an evolutionary process, all of these creatures, what they talk about in the ascended master teachings is they're referred to as elementals. And some of those elementals, if they are treated right, uh, you know, will also go through a process of evolution and become um, conscious, self-determined beings. So in another realm someday out in the far, far future, uh, they could be peopling our worlds, our realms that we create. Now, this is going to step on the toes of a lot of belief systems, but I think there's more truth to that than not. And at very least, if you understand that these elementals, whatever you think of them, uh, which we can prove uh, react to every thought and feeling that we have, then maybe we ought to be practicing more responsible stewardship and, you know, having less toxic thoughts and feelings going through our, our being and maybe become a little bit more responsible. And uh, the proof of the pudding is, is that people that get a little bit more advanced in those practices usually find out that their life runs a lot smoother on every single level when they aren't in a constant drama in their mind and body and, and emotions. So, um, yeah, St. Germain is playing a very pivotal role. He's the Lord of the violet flame. And when you get into the seven rays, uh, you understand that the seventh ray um, is the role, uh, is the uh, resonance of transmutation. It's the purification. So uh, him being the master of that ray, uh, which for whatever reason, only he knows uh, that is his particular main attribute. That's why he is playing this role for this planet. And he was with a lot of folks and in a very advanced civilization about 70,000 years ago. Some of us even have memory of that time. And uh, right now we're coming around the bend to uh, once again create a civilization like that, only this time it won't um, succumb to all of the, the stuff that tears every civilization apart, and which is what the, the predator class right now is trying to achieve again. And also why they're bombarding us with all these frequencies and things so that we do not get those clear uh, resonant messaging, you know, from the higher realms, if they can kind of cut us off from that, then we're going to be more stupefied on the ground, which is why you see a lot of people around with masks and all that sort of stuff on. Yeah, we're definitely um, got to see a nice visualization of that playing out in the last few years, literally with the masks showing what I guess the um, esoteric occulted ones would call the profane because they literally are the swine that are still lost in their own sort of materialistic state of fear. Um, St. Germain, there's a section in the, the story where he literally goes to his own funeral. And um, if you call it a funeral, it's really a rite of passage where he um, goes into the coffin, if you remember. But during that that point, there's some serious like Rosicrucian secret doctrines that are laid out in the book that um, were probably pretty 
secret before that. I mean, maybe in the late 19th century, I guess a lot of this was allowed to come out. But in that, he talks about the 11 rules, which I can say here, which I think the 11 rules are pretty profound in terms of a direction and in, in towards living what I call the way, which is what everything comes down to, what the Christ, the Nazarene talked about, Buddha, etc., Zoroaster. And these are them, the 11 rules, which are, one, love God above all else. Two, use your time to develop your soul. Three, be completely unselfish. Four, be sober, humble, active, and silent. Five, learn the origins of the metals in you. Six, beware of charlatans and liars. Seven, constantly revere the highest good. Eight, learn the theory before you try to practice. Very important. Nine, practice charity towards all beings. Ten, read the ancient books of wisdom. And finally, strive to understand their secret meaning. Pretty phenomenal, I will say, in terms of uh, life's practices right there, all into one. St. Germain in this book is just really embodies the I am concept, even though he doesn't really ever say the I am presence in this book. Those words don't come out like he does in other texts, but really feels like a living character. And for those who have mentioned, you know, other people talking about St. Germain as a physical um, embodiment uh, during that time, the Count St. Germain, which there is a lot of fascinating, amazing stories about. Um, there are people that are saying they're, uh, you know, literally blood relatives to St. Germain and to this day and are on podcasts, et cetera. I, th- I, I got to question that and Bear, you help me come to that higher understanding. In this book, uh, he's asked by Casanova um, if he has sexual relations with all the women and he says no. He makes it very clear this principle uh, of sort of divine um, sexuality or divine um, the concept of the gender uh, and St. Germain was not physically uh, sort of in that gross materialism anymore at that time, right? So to him, for him to have um, uh, sons or uh, ancestors, descendants, um, doesn't really reign true when you understand the core uh, personage or who St. Germain is. And with the um, authentic teachings that have come across through St. Germain. Um, If you can appreciate, just, you know, just go with it. Let's just say you have a master that has gone through our, you know, same experience, trials and tribulations, and has gotten off the wheel. I mean, I don't know why that wouldn't be true. Because if you look at every facet of nature, that's just the way everything works. We are part of nature. We aren't an exception. We just have the ability to become self-aware. So uh, when St. Germain or any Ascended Master gets to that point, just like you're saying, they do not have to engage in procreation and all the other things that they've already been through. They're out of that game for good. But at the same time, if they are playing a pivotal role in the evolution of humanity to help wake us up, would it make sense for them to be channeled through some dude on YouTube? Um, And that's why in the original St. Germain teachings, not all this stuff that's come after, but the original ones, um, they make a very strong point that we will never do that 
because it would very quickly you lose the resonance, the purity of resonance of our message. And it's not just words that they convey, but it's a very real resonance that hits you on seven different levels. So um, I don't have any problem with somebody that's saying I'm channeling whoever. That's fine. You know, what do I know? Uh, but at the same time, uh, I'm not going to subscribe and start following some guy around because the original teachings are there. When you uh, expose yourself to the original teachings, the resonance is palpable. Uh, there's a purity that's undeniable. And when you go to other sources, the human is so uh, recognizable. And, you know, when you work on bodies for a long time, you kind of develop a little bit of a sixth sense about those sorts of things. And um, so anyway, if, if, if somebody, you know, is channeling whatever, well, great, good luck with that. That's part of your experience. And that might be exactly what you need. Uh, I just don't think I'm going to be reading your books or tuning into your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Uh and moving on with the the book here with red lion um you were mentioning an important aspect of your practice and understanding how the transmutation inside works that um uh the elementals and how uh mind and imagination uh can literally create uh on in this realm and in that uh, kind of final test of our character when he's cornelius uh, St. Germain uh, has him go through a test here with um, the, uh, I don't know if I pronounce this right, but it has to, this is a Tibetan concept of the Kilkor. And if you remember this bear where St. Germain leaves after he's left uh, his body or, you know, that current role and through after the, he gets put in the coffin, he, he leaves uh, Cornelius with a carved statue of a sort of black magician that is uh, carved in clay and takes three three to four years of Cornelius doing intense work where he literally turns this Kilkakor, I believe how you pronounce it, into an actual animated creature yeah. where he is breathing and he's kind of, um, he walks and he does chores. And then one night uh, Cornelius wakes up to being choked by this creature and the creature demanding his freedom uh, to walk out and be released from the tethers of his creator. And now this is the great test that he must go through, the final sort of test before he is, um, uh, you know, uh, through the three keys, if you will, to become a master himself, an adept. Really, really fascinating stuff. I did a little bit of research into the Kilkor um, uh, sort of, you know, story and uh, uh, going back to the ancient Buddhist times, there's not a ton online about it, to be honest, really, really kind of relating it to the mon mandala uh, stuff that they do that the Buddhist monks do uh, with the different chalks and sands, you know, the colored sands. Um, but this idea of animating a statue is really a fascinating part of the book. Um, you know, there are practitioners that animate dead bodies and, you know, kind of weekend at Bernie's kind of stuff. And um, that's a real phenomena. We have that ability. The whole point of that part of the story 
was that if you are embarking on your ascension and going to become a co-creator or even have a major role with other living beings, then you now become, you know, even a creator of a being that then, of course, you can't use the way the the uh, wannabes these days, you know, want to create little Robotrons and then control them for their own whims or kill them whenever they want. But if you are using that as an exercise for your creative abilities, and, you know, this will stretch a lot of imagination, but I believe that kind of stuff happens. And, uh, you know, then that is part of the practice. And of course, they explain how uh, at that level of development, and that was part, that was an exercise to be actually to harness that focus and intention with no malice in order to create an animated body that would allow you to go into the next realm. It doesn't mean that animated body has to stick around or whatever, but the point being is that uh, just because you created it, you can't enslave it either. You know, again, like folks are trying to do now, you know, there's... Um, there's a lot of uh, information about past civilizations, one of them being Lemuria, which uh, was a civilization allegedly in the Pacific uh, Basin, uh, Hawaii being the, the tips of the old continent. And uh, I did have a lot of experience in that part of the world and also worked with some traditional kahunas for a long time. We became very close friends and they are very, very much uh, not just believers, but, um, uh, you know, have evidence that these civilizations did exist in that part of the world. Now, when that civilization was prominent, the people of Lemuria we're still very much in their creative powers. And before our major fall, our thoughts manifested much more quickly, which of course is why things are happening very quickly now, because things are manifesting as our consciousness, you know, gets uh, quicker. And as the veils grow thinner, um, you know, that's why we say, okay, these days you got to have your wits about you because anything you're going to entertain in your consciousness is going to manifest in your world a lot quicker. Well, back in Lemuria, they were actually able to create these forms at will. They're still intact with those powers, just like, uh, you know, creating the little creature in the book that we're talking about. And as they retained those abilities, but simultaneously fell from grace, so to speak, and started entertaining lower emotions, then those lower emotions started developing forms, which according to the Ascended Master teachings, are the forms that we now think of as animals. So animals are the physical forms, the embodiments that live on today, that are the embodiments of the lower emotions of those times when people were creating those kinds of animals. And uh, to this day, they say the domestication of animals when we have a dog. Is we are freeing them, uh, you know, so that they can be absorbed back into universal and not be trapped in these lower 
you know, animal forms and exhibiting, of course, they don't do anything, uh, you know, out of meanness like people can do, but you know, if they're a predator or whatever, they're just doing what they're designed to do. Um, but the domestication of animals also in herds is a step towards that direction. That would also make people think about, well, is it cool to have Auschwitz meat factories? <laughs> you know, um, you know, again, we get into that subject, but it goes a lot deeper than we can possibly imagine. And uh, the animal farms on this planet need to be freed through love, but it's also what I brought up as an illustration of how the, uh, the consciousness of mankind is capable of creating forms in, in exactly what you're talking about that they describe in the book. Yeah, and I think uh, what's exciting about where we're going uh, with our community and with AlphaCast and over the last few years is as we come to a higher understanding of this, self-mastery principle that um, we are embodying that as much as we can and living it day to day in the present. And what what is the immediate result of that is no fear. We You notice on this channel, guys, we don't really go into a lot of the traditional quote unquote fear porn you see on a lot of these quote unquote truther channels where uh, as we introduce this talk about the news cycle and all of that, because that is just the drama that is uh, within the, the fear spectrum that um, we can easily circumvent when we have a higher understanding of the alchemical process. So it's been really cool to see the community growing up with that, um, like with, I'm wearing a Music and Sky sweatshirt, really that resonated, that was palpable at the Music and Sky uh, Festival this year. Um, people were kind of over all talking about that. It was more about where, where are we going now? How are we resonating together? What are we creating? And in the end, that's uh, really the powerful takeaway of this is what can we create right now with our superpowers? Because we all have these superpowers and another book, you know, after I finished this book, Bear, I got really like hungry for more. <laughs> and I was like, what else can I read? And you had given me this phenomenal book um, a couple of years ago for my one of my birthdays. Uh, we share a same birthday date almost. And we had a party here and you dropped off a couple books kind of on the sly. And I've read them both. And one of them is The Brother of the Third Degree. And I believe that's what it's called, right? Yeah, um, classic, total classic. Uh, here, here it is. And um, this book kind of takes off right where um, the Red Lion leaves off and it goes deep into the initiation into the sort of uh, secret brotherhood. Um, but the takeaway, once again, is um, this does require active um, work every day. Uh, uh, discipline, for one, is a very important element uh, to understanding how we can achieve these great results is through discipline and the Cornelius character as he is reincarnated his parent they say that basically his parents were already waiting for him they knew he was going had gone through this initiation thousands of years ago had the fall uh with the Hans Bergner type character and um the Giuseppe character and the one he has where we didn't even talk about where he kind of has the astral cleansing um when he is partnered up with Karina 
who is this phenomenal character who she literally embodies the pure astral uh, form of sort of um, the material, uh, you know, devilish, um, I don't know, ego, right? All the the dark side of the physicality, um, of just pure lust. She's just a creature of pure lust that he is the, it's his first sort of love where he falls in love with the female form. And it is all just about form with her. It's just pure sexuality. And he gets destroyed by her. And when he passes away, he, he, he dies of an illness young at 36 years old. He is now stuck to her. And he, he uh, through what he calls the green veil, I believe, or the green portal, watches her from the astral realm as he, he sees her whole life unfold. And he sees all these other spirits that are attached to her. And he needs to go through that cleansing, that process through her to, in order to let go of all of that, um, those sort of you know, lust and all the, the seven sins really, right? Um, avarice and greed and sloth and all of that. And so there is a a, a moral tale to this book. Um, it really does come down to living the way, as the Christ explains, um, that this is all about living a moral life. And, um, you know, going back to those 11 principles of, that St. Germain lays out, and like literally being like a samurai, a uh, ronin, if you will, or an, uh, a, a chivalrous knight in the world where you're on the stage for a reason to be selfless and to live in the present and master your thoughts and um, and not be one of the profane or the swine. And I think it's uh, the takeaway from the book for me was, wow, I've got a lot of work to do, but this is exciting and this is why I'm here and it's really uh, a, a phenomenal for that takeaway. But when you realize what the work is for and what you're really doing with it, then it becomes fun. It's not an ominous task. It's not making yourself bad, judging yourself or anybody else. No, that's why we play the game. That's what my old football coach used to tell us all the time. We might go running out in the field and thinking that we were totally superior because we're nationally ranked and we're playing a lesser opponent. But anything can happen. So that's what makes it fun. That's why we play this in the first place. You know, you make some uh, important points, too, because these sort of uh, this sort of subject matter, again, is very triggering. And I completely understand uh, we can take people with different beliefs, different religious inclinations, you know, uh, more orthodox Christianity. Um, you know, and, and not saying anything negative about anything, they are all paths that I believe lead to the same place. But very often when we are in one particular camp and it doesn't match the narrative that we have been taught through our camp, then we have to look with uh, not just suspicion, but with, um, uh, you know, much worse at these kinds of beliefs. So I think a good way around it, rather than just dismissing, you know, if we talk about seven rays or if we're talking about alchemy or resonance or, or any of the such, rather than say, well, this is new age bunk or, you know, because you don't understand the science, or if you say it's the devil's work, uh, you know, or something that is contrary to what the Nazarene taught. Well, what did the Nazarene teach? He taught love. He taught uh, uncon unconditional acceptance of each other and treating people as you would like to be treated yourself. And everything that we're describing here, everything that we're talking about is exactly the same. 
So let's just say, Mike, that some of the things that we believe in are totally wrong. We're, you know, barking up the wrong tree and these other people are right. You know, we've just succumbed to some kind of superstition or whatever. Okay, fine. I don't have a problem with that. But the way we conduct our lives according to our belief system is loving kindness, uh, you know, make no war on any other living being, accept all others, uh, extend as much freedom as you desire to, you know, for yourself to other folks. So I don't see how there's any downside listening to, uh, or conducting your life according to Christian principles, which is what we just described. Um, just because maybe you have a different belief system as far as who's running the show uh, from the from behind the scenes or what our real pro potential is. Um, you know, I think that hang up is just really not well thought out by folks that react. And I think if they took a little time to learn or at least to practice um, what they preach, you know, as far as unconditional love, then, uh, you know, we wouldn't have a problem and maybe we could all get on the same page a lot sooner than we think, rather than, um, you know, succumbing to the divide and conquer tactics of folks that created religions and things in the first place. Yeah. Um, and back to the book, when he's Luis de Austral, when that's the life uh, where he dies at 36, um, he uh there's a great scene where he is um enmeshed in all these they call them the lambs right there were all these like really um religiously astute supposedly characters that had you know given up all their possessions and they were very much trying to preach to each other about uh, who's the most sort of religiously inclined and chaste and literally though in the background they are sort of these impetuous um petty um, very much uh, hypocritical characters. And I think um, it's an important thing to remember that, yeah, beliefs can take you so far. Beliefs are crucial, but it's how you enact them and it's how you actually live and how what you do. And that's why we physically embody, because that is the true test, because that is where uh, the, we know what our true metal is is literally when we are thrown a curveball on our daily um, activity and then how we react, right? How we actually behave, how we treat our fellow brothers and sisters. So we can, um, a lot of people are wonderful at putting that um, a sort of illusory uh, uh, white robe on, but really what are you actually doing? And um, we see that a lot with influencers in the space. They talk a big game, but what are they actually doing in their lives behind once the YouTube, uh, once the webcam turns off? And that's something that we try to strive here with Alpha Vedic is live the way. And I'm by no means no saint. Uh, I'll be the first to say that, but doing everything in our power to actually embody and live what we speak. Uh, and it's uh, why we show up, as you said. Yeah, and that's what uh, alchemists called the great work. And uh, just to give ourselves a pat on the back here, um, everything that we talk about, we're actually doing. And we're actually doing it before the advent of the inver uh, internet, before YouTube ever <laughs> existed. You know, we're learning our ropes, you know, playing sports, experimenting in our own physical laboratory, uh, you know, seeing what 
we could do as far as getting performance out of our own bodies and others. Uh, also learning, uh, you know, medicine in all its different forms and practicing over thousands of bodies, looking at blood under a microscope for countless hours, uh, you know, developing farming operations to see how things grow to test out you know what we uh believe we were learning and and i'll tell you along the way a lot of stuff i thought i knew uh and that i learned just through academics didn't pan out uh you know when you're actually on the ground i see a lot of things especially in medicine these days alternative medicine in particular that um you we always have the latest uh, nutraceutical or product and people say, oh, I take this and this is what you need to do that. And, you know, when you're seeing thousands of folks, you realize that not everybody reacts away uh, the same way. You also realize uh, why people don't react the same way. Uh, you also learn, you know, what might be good for yourself. So um, that's that's a process that we're all going through. We're all individualizations. And we all have uh, a uniqueness that is uh, different from any other life form in all of the history of creation. So that is what we need to embrace in ourselves, embrace in each other. And when you just can look at another individual, another life form and fathom uh, just th this individualization of uh, the creator, in all of its uniqueness uh, and individuality, it's real hard to get whizzed off at somebody, even these folks that are misusing the power that they've been given. Uh, all we can do with them is, you know, we don't have to like their personality or what they're doing, but we can uh, forgive. And we also can understand that because we are in a place of power ourselves, we do not have to become a victim of whatever they do in the first place. And that brings me, I think, full circle to maybe where we want to finalize today is uh, this whole episode was about the year of alchemy. And 2023, um, if people don't understand through the prior year that we've all been played <laughs> and if they haven't got enough insight that all of our institutions, financial, medical, and everything, uh, lawfare, everything included, are all machinations in order to dupe us and to control us and even to kill us, then, well, you might need to play the game somewhere else. But we had all the exposure, all the revelations we needed in 2022 2023 is where we embrace the science of transmutation, use it to our advantage, and above all, realize we are not victim to anybody or anything. Beautiful. I, that is an encapsulation I am in full agreement with, and I'm excited for 2023. Uh, Cordal, which I've been involved with, is transmuting fiat into new reality uh, through uh, decentralization. And um, thanks, everybody, for sticking with us there. Uh, this is truly done out of the goodness of the heart of the developers. And we will be launching QApps this year, which will allow us to finally realize this platform so we can have alternative YouTube, alternative uh, uh, markets on there, all done with each individual node rep 
supporting it. So that's one example of transmutation. And then, of course, we'll be transmuting um, fear into love continually with everything Alpha Vedic's doing this year on the new platform with educational workshops. Bear, I know, uh, and also lots of videos from your lab and uh, helping those uh, folks that are interested in these different type of creative uh, endeavors to learn how to, um, uh, you know, apply those in their daily life. Fantastic. Good talk, Mike. Yeah, oh. man. Um, you know, I, I've been really on this kick since reading this book. I'm actually listening to it now. For those who... Uh, who um, don't want to purchase the book, you can listen to it. We've shared this before, but Brian Scott on his phenomenal, fantastic YouTube channel, he does an amazing narration of the book. It's a two-parter on YouTube. Um, I'm actually listening to it now because I my copy's over in Jacksonville, um, um, now splitting time between Jacksonville here and uh, on the river. Um, but that being said, you can listen to it. Um, however, we also have it on our Amazon book list and you, and you, I got it from thrift books, even though you can get it on Amazon. Um, and, uh, you can go to alphabetic.com forward slash book list, uh, brother of the third degree is the other one I highly recommend. Uh, this is a really fun read. And then also I just recently watched the fountain again, the Aronofsky, uh, movie. I don't. Uh, I know your son's a big fan of him in that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it, Bear. Uh, the Fountain with um, God. Who's in that? Um, uh, Hugh Jackman. Yeah, yeah. And Rachel Wise. And that movie really personifies this alchemical reality, right? Where he's living in three different lives, and she's with him in those live streams. And he is an MD in one of them in modern times. So he's like deeply ingrained in the scientism, trying to save her life. And then, of course, uh, he's also on this like spaceship flying through space with the Tree of Life. And there's so much allegory rich in that film. I highly recommend if you guys haven't seen that film, watching that. Um, and uh, recently, I just watched uh, also a really cool book, a really movie, really cool movie from 1937 called, um, oh, gosh, don't let me blank on this, Endless Horizon, I believe, oh, yeah, based right. on the book. And that's a phenomenal one where a, a Westerner Is that ends the up finding. Razor's Edge uh, or the Razor's Edge, I haven't seen yet still, but that's related to it. Similar idea where uh, uh, he they basically oh, discover Lost Shambhala. Horizon. You're talking about what's a Lost Horizon, right? Yeah, there's called? two versions. The old one's really cool. Um, and the yeah. Razor's Edge is uh, amazing too. And you know, my favorite version of that is not the old one, it's the relatively newer one with bill murray and you know when i, I first saw that. it i thought there's no way bill murray can pull this off but he was phenomenal in it i really need to see that um the original one the of uh the lost horizon is frank capra actually yeah. uh directed that and that was 1937 it was one of the most uh like extensive movie sets of its time they they estimate that would cost now about 40 million dollars to make that film because they completely built that set of the Shambhala set and uh, they actually lost a bit of it. They lost, I think about 20 minutes of it. And um, uh, when I remember when I was going to school uh, for film school, they were actually going through the process of finding that lost uh, footage, which they couldn't find all of it, 
and through UCLA uh, Film School, uh, were able to uh, bring a lot of that, that lost uh, film back. Uh, and uh, it's really amazing. I highly recommend it. It's uh, There's a lot of interesting lore around Shambhala. It also relates to St. Germain, the Ascended, Ascended Masters. So I, I bring that up because it's just fun to embrace the magic, right? And the mystery. And we've lost a lot of that in the last few decades, and there's nothing wrong with it. Um, I believe the scourge of modern times is this, this cynicism that comes out of materialism. And it's really, we love to um, engage in fantasy because we understand what uh, the creative imagination can actually uh, bring forth in this reality. It's the only creative force in the universe, our imagination. And that's what we're taught to quell, you know, first thing in the public full system. <laughs> well, this has been such a great chat, Bear. I'm really excited for this year. We'll have a, a, a ton of amazing guests coming on to talk deeper into alchemy and uh, the alternative sciences. Uh, we've got Topher Gardner coming on soon to go into uh, electrical universe concepts and everything. That guy gets all this stuff. I really want to talk more about implosion technology versus explosion um, and uh, dive deeper into the real sciences of Victor the realm. Schauberger. Schauberger, baby, which Topher talks about as well. Uh, next week, we have Devon, the black airbender. So we'll be getting into everything that he does. <laughs> he doesn't eat food. Um, he's really into the etheric energies and um, uh, scalar. He calls scalar energies, whatever we want to call it. This relates to Wilhelm Reich and the orgone and everything we're all about. So that's going to be a phenomenal talk that'll be very much parallel to what we discussed today. Okay, so uh, everybody in our community, love you a whole bunch. And uh, thanks for sticking with us these last years and couldn't have done it without you guys. Uh, this year, you know, we're, we're hitting the ground running. So it's going to be a very special year and we're going to try our best to uh, you know, really make a lot of meaningful offerings to our community and, uh, you know, also have more of an interactive uh, platform through our new website because there's so many folks that I'd like to interact with, but because we're scattered with all different kinds of, um, you know, everything from Telegram to our site to, you know, work out here, everything's going to be consolidated so we can have more of a direct funnel into, you know, the folks that really want to, you know, work with us directly. And, uh, you know, it's taken uh, a lot of effort to get our Preston farm to this farm, but we now have enough outbuildings and things, uh, you know, that we've, we've shared with you guys that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're doing some high level work. We got a new business center. Uh, we got other things in the works. Our aquatic center will be, you know, completed hopefully uh, later spring. Um, so all of those things we'll be sharing with you and you guys are all making it happen. So. Thank you. Love you all. Uh, this community is what feeds us, keeps us going. Thank you guys so much for all the support. We're really excited for this year. Uh, you can find out if you're new to us, find out more about us at alphavedic.com. Uh, you can join our current co-op, but we have an online co-op on Patreon, which will be moving over to the new platform uh, at patreon.com forward slash alphavedic. I did put out a recent um, request or um, I guess an offer, excuse me, uh, for an intern to come in and help us out, help me out with um, updating a lot of the, on the digital side, on the website, we got to get AlphaCast updated on the website. 
Um, and then we will be putting forth a lot of content on the new platform. And so this internship is sort of a, a mentorship to come in and learn the ways of what we do here and then come on to uh, have a paid position over time. So I uh, haven't had a ton of response yet. If this is something that interests you, this is really ideal for someone, you know, late teens, early 20s, younger that um, has the time, really. That's why I say that and also is hungry to learn uh, and to come on board and help us on the digital side, uh, you can email me at mike at alphavedic.com. Uh, we would love to bring on the right person for this. So uh, thanks again, everybody, for joining us today. We'll see you next week. We love you. And remember to get outside, get your feet in the dirt, go plant something. Even if it's winter, start prepping your seeds. I'm ordering seeds as we speak. Uh, if you're down south, well, hey, you're in the heart of summer, so you should be uh, enjoying your garden right now. Uh, get outside, go for a hike, go skiing. That's what I plan on doing this weekend. <laughs> and uh, love you guys. We'll see you next week.